Welcome to Talking TRM, the Travel Risk Management Podcast. I'm Bex Debman and I'm an independent consultant specialising in ISO 31030. During my transition from corporate travel to travel risk, I've met some incredible individuals driving travel risk management forward with passion and expertise. On this podcast, I'm going to chat with them about their stories and hopefully inspire our listeners to start their own travel risk management journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking TRM, a podcast dedicated to travel risk management. My name is Travel Respects, and today, how am I going to describe this guest? So um, this is this is one of the ones where I've been stalking him for quite a while. Um, he's quite a big name when it comes to risk management and travel risk management, and actually sort of driving this whole piece forward. So today, I welcome Bruce McIndoe. I don't know why I've just said Dow, Doe. Um, I always get nervous when I actually announce my guests. I have a little thing with their name, so my apologies. Um, you can just say, I'm pe- people risk Bruce. There you go. People risk Bruce and travel risk Bex. I love that. There, what a pair. PRB and T. Oh, look at that. I love an acronym. Um, so I obviously have known of you for a very long time, even prior to getting into this space. Um, but since getting into this space, have obviously watched a lot of what you guys have been doing and I'm using some of the work that you have done um, as sort of TRA3 and that kind of stuff in the work that I do now. Um, so I just know that, you know, you've set some of the standards in this space before the standards even kind of came out, if you like. So Practices. it must feel... So say again. Practices, not standards. Practices, practices. <laughs> that, okay, good. Um, so it must. I'm interested to hear from you, obviously, to find out how it feels now with a new standard that has come out and how that's driving things forward for you. But also just to really learn about your why and, and what got you into this space in the first place, Bruce. It's an absolute honour to have you here. I, joking aside, it really is. Um, so without further ado. I would like to introduce you and to tell my guests who you are and what you do, please. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, what a, I have a long arc when you're old. <laughs> Good. Tell us so, about yes. it. I think it's, I think it's uh, probably appropriate. So, so my undergraduate degree was physics and focusing in high energy physics, right? So nuclear physics. And uh, my plan was to go to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore to continue that at the Advanced Physics Applied Physics Lab, their APL. And then I got the computer bug and switched and got my master's in computer science. So so that was my first Uh, Worked at NASA, worked in space missions and those kinds of things, and then kind of got recruited to uh, support NSA, the National Security Agency, and then ended up in a 14-year career in the intelligence community. So that's kind of how all this foundation of my primary focus in the the 90s was uh, both computer security, what we call the rainbow books, and, uh, but also support to the warfighter and, and intelligence. And when I was uh, there at the end, kind of in the late nineties was um, the internet was coming on and kind of the, you know, the whole IC was looking at how do we use this? And so I, when I was out looking at that and looking at the private sector, 
I was just amazed that, you know, major companies, big, you know, huge financial services basically were blind to the world. They didn't have really any kind of intelligence as I would think about it, you know, in the government and, um, and talked with the director at the time. And he was going out to, uh, a dual use technology investment company. And, but the bottom line was, well, do something about it. So in April of uh, 99, I left. And in the fall of 99, started a company called iJet, iJet International. And the primary focus at that time was to provide global, uh, we call indication and warning intelligence for the private sector, right? But there had to be a use case, right? <laughs> and, uh, and a, a buddy uh, or an individual that I got introduced to um, had an idea about, you know, doing this for travelers, right? And maybe looking at how we support the warfighter and, and the military for preparation of the battlefield and providing tactical intelligence so that they're aware of what's going on, that kind of thing. And um, anyway, so that's where all this started. And uh, we started to get into, you know, more and more about that and thinking about that. And uh, so the iJet became, I just enjoy travel. So. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so, uh, you know, so then, you know, that was early on the early, you know, 2000, 2002. In 2004 was kind of the first, um, in, you know, kind of the whole concept of kind of risk management frameworks and those kinds of things. And, uh, and we started to look at like, okay, how do we systematically manage the risk of the person that's on, you know, on travel, right? And, uh, and so really trying to build a foundation around that. Uh, ultimately, in like the late 2009 timeframe, I think is when the ISO 31000 came out. So kind of that, and I think you have the original stuff from 2004 around the travel risk management maturity model, right? Which we I took do. the idea from Carnegie Mellon and the software capability model and kind of took that with the, at that time, I think it might've been, actually, I think it was the Australians uh, that had a risk standard that we were kind of using prior to mm -hmm. 31,000. Uh, anyway, and, and then to coin this term travel risk management, right? Back in, in that time frame and and it's just been uh, interesting to see how it's evolved, but so have I. And uh, and that's where we get to people risk, Bruce. <laughs> exactly, which is, I think it's going to dive into our why a little bit more as well. So okay. let's just take a couple of steps back, though. I just love the fact that you just dropped in. I just worked at NASA for a bit. That was just even like, yeah, I just like love that, Bruce. So um, for us and for our listeners, we're like, whoa, okay, great. Um, but then being able to, you know, have that influence. And I think that there was a real time in the 90s, wasn't it? The technology was coming in, this idea of where that could be and where that could go and, and the internet and what it well, could do. Yeah, technology and then the data explosion, accessible data over the internet, absolutely. And I guess it seems crazy looking back now um, that companies wouldn't have access to that kind of intelligence. Um, arguably, they almost have access to too much data now. But I think when we bring it back to the travel piece, we're still stuck even all these years later and not brilliant data, certainly from the travel side. Um, and then what you kind of, what, where that ends up in the assistance side as well. We still seem to have big issues in this space. 
um, which ultimately is what the security manager or anyone else who's trying to run the program is relying on, right? That, that travel data. The good step is, I guess, that we've got more because of mobile phones, because of geocoding, we're able to actually locate people in different ways. So that's sure. that's a positive, I guess, on, on the other side. I just get frustrated when I hear how long these conversations have been happening. And actually I look at the reality and go, why have we not got better at this? Other industries have got a lot better at this as far as data is concerned. But thank you for that. And thank you for taking us through that. So let's let's dive into to when did you become PRM, a PRM, PRB, <laughs> sorry. People risk management, people risk groups. Talk to yeah, you, talk I, about so, you know, obviously our focus out the gate was really just laser focused on the travel you know, element, you know, modality versus, you know, working from offices and those kinds of things. As I was developing iJet and we were developing the platform and working with organizations, it became clear that, you know, there were four asset classes that mattered to organizations, right? And they don't think about travelers, they think about people, right? And I'll come back to that. The other is locations, right? So where 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 are they operating, and and what what are the important locations that they're operating from? Then there's what I call things or supplies. So what things do they need to make the magic happen? And the fourth one, of course, is which is intangible, which is information assets, right? So though bringing those together. So as you're starting to look at that, in like, what is you know what are the concerns around loss? Uh, right, which spurned you know all the whole business continuity, resiliency, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but more importantly, protection. Right, right. So we have this all these protective services. Right, emergency management, crisis management, uh, EHS, and environmental health and safety. And so when you start stepping back from this and looking what organizations actually have to juggle and deal with every day, the centroid for them is is the people asset, right? And so, okay, so why are we having executive protection and TRM and, and health and safety and all this stuff? Let's actually focus on taking those. We call In the military, we call it a joint force, right? You can wear your uniform, Army, Navy, Air Force, space, but at the end of the day, they all come together, a common mission, a common objective, and you share information and work together as a team, right? And so that's really what I've been working on really in the last 10 years is, you know, people talk about convergence. I hate that word because it's like, you're not going to converge the army and the air force, right? But you can definitely bring them together to be an effective fighting force, right? And so again, my military background and my father was in the military, um, you know, I just see that as so clear, but trying to move the battleship literally that's out there, you know, to change these like tribal silos is, is a challenge, but that's why I focus on people, whether I guess they're home, whether they're in the office, whether they're traveling, whether they're on vacation, whatever, right? Agreed. And what do you think? So to taking that approach, I think will be music to some people's ears. And then actually probably from the traveler's perspective, because it generally means you're actually thinking about the journey that they're going through and actually, the ideas and the conversations around well-being and looking after them and their health and all that sort of stuff can come to fruition. But from a corporate management side, for our listeners that are thinking, I love that, but I've got 
ten thousand employees. They're all different. They all don't. They all want different things. How on earth do I start? Where do I kind of go with that? How can we kind of help those people with this kind of concept of people risk management a little bit more? So what I do is I start with leadership, right? And, you know, while our conversation is focused on kind of what I call half of the risk equation, <laughs> there's another half that's incredibly important and, and risky to the organization. And that's not duty of care to that employee, mental health, all of those things. But it's also what is the risk of that individual to the organization? So insider risk, right? So if you don't have a holistic understanding of every individual in the company, then you are blind to risks, right? Now, one, you don't want to have loss of personnel and have to recover from that, right? That's incredibly important. You don't want degradation of that asset, right? Through mental health and illness or whatever. So that's incredibly important. But at the same time, you don't want you know, bad actors with grievance and, and those kinds of things, you know, exposing your organization to ransomware and infiltration and exfiltration of information, right? So, so guys, you know, company, you need to step back and say, why are we doing this in such a disjointed way? It makes no sense. And I take it and I say, think about your customers. What do you have? You have like a customer relationship management system and you have profiles about every in, every interaction, every engagement, whether it's marketing, whether it's the helpline, whether it's you know selling them product, you know everything about them. You need to have that for your people, <laughs> right? You should Love know that. every person in your company, where they are, what their aspirations are, you know, what you've given them, what you want to, how you want to up, skill them and 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 what challenges do they have and what support are they getting all of that should be known so that the company has that information to make sure that those assets are being protected and 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 enhanced and capabilities you know expanded so that's that's how i come at it I love it. I love it. And this is exactly me. I'm like, you need to know about every single trip and exactly how each person's going to react to that trip. And this is why these two things are just so intrinsically linked and obviously led, I think, by the people risk management piece. Travel is just something they happen to be doing and there could be other risks as well. But, so, okay. the, but it's also in the travel space, you know, it's like the comp most of the companies that I've worked with over the decades, right? Basically pay attention when a person goes on a trip with commercial transport. Yep. That's it. So yep. if they jump in their vehicle or they, you know, purpose, you know, person, you know, go on a train and go somewhere and it's not part of the, you know, the commercial ticket that was purchased or, or managed by the company, then they're off the radar completely. Completely. Yeah, and, and, they're in their and own that's car. the most risky travel is jumping in a vehicle, right? So agreed. No, and this is exactly so. When we're trying to talk about this, about bringing in the fleet management side in, bringing the ground transport side in, yeah. don't sort of just be stuck with the kind of the air and the kind of international transport piece. And that ties straight back into what we were talking about earlier about the data, right? So yeah. depending on your partner, depends on and which country you're booking in depends on what level of data you're going to get through your tool and that's arguably what's going to then go through to be tracked about you.
not sure where to start with implementing a standard such as ISO 31030, a gap analysis exercise from Ascent Risk Management is the best place to start. Our expert consultants will take you step by step through your chosen standard and highlight any weak areas. This can be conducted remotely and the results of the gap analysis can form the plan for your targeted project. Contact Ascent today at www.ascent1, which is A-S-S-E-N-T-1.com and booking your gap analysis today. Then this is question of trust, isn't this? So, I mean, I am with you, Bruce. I am converted. We have the same acronyms practically. We're there. But there's this issue with trust for businesses, isn't there? And it's a conversation I've been having with lots of different providers and how perhaps the new technology that's coming in this risk space can, can I don't know, maybe create sort of double profiles. So actually travellers get the opportunity to put stuff in about them, which might be personal, which they will only be looked at if something happens right so it's it's accessed by the security manager even maybe hr don't but there's a lot of uncomfort about this um how do we get around some of those thoughts and how do we have conversations around that in your opinion uh, my opinion is very straightforward and it has been my opinion since the beginning people are adults right so yeah. You don't like, for example, one of the things that came up, you know, I would say maybe, you know, 10 years ago, you know, the whole LGBTQ plus blah, blah, right? All of that. It was like, you know, people wanted to, you know, put down information they wanted to have on the profile, right? Or if someone had, you know, an illness or if they were traveling while pregnant and all this. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. What you need to do is have the information so that they can self-select and know where to get it and remind them that that information exists. Right. So teach them to fish, teach them, because at the end of the day, and this is, you know, I always have told people and have proven this. The best investment an organization can make in travel risk management is training. Oh my God, I agree. <laughs> 100%. Because yeah. if you can do basic training with your in employees and personnel that are traveling on your behalf so that they can make the right decisions first to avoid problems and then have the skill set, the capabilities to make good decisions at the moment, my, what a savings, what, you know, what a wonderful thing if that's what's happening, right? But if I'm they're just, blindly going in there and make a mess of things then you have a big mess to clean up with no support at all and I think and I, I right. completely agree with you this idea of just kind of making our I love the fact people are adults because we want to wrap stuff around them right there's this idea of but actually if you are of a certain community or if you are suffering with a particular illness or if you have a disability or a, a mental health um, condition or whatever it is you know yeah. that you know that yourself and you might not want to declare it to everybody, right. and that's, that's fair enough. And but you shouldn't you do, have to. But... And you shouldn't have to, because the company right. should be providing enough information that you mm -hmm. know where to get it to. And actually, if we're in a court of law situation, that would be good enough, you know, for a company to say, well, look, I did, the, here's the information, I trained them, this is it, they knew they got reminders. That's kind of good enough, guys. We don't have to have a big database of Every, how can you possibly do that anyway um but you know everyone's mental health condition and how they're feeling and all this other stuff that 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 can't kind of work um unless people feel comfortable enough to do it and i think companies sometimes get around that by 
you know, the, some of the groups and things that they might have or the communities within that culture. And, and will... I was going to say a lot of companies have, you know, mental health champions. They have, you know, communities within there, whether it's LGBT or whatever, um, is, is, a, is another great forum for them for other reasons, but also to be aware that these resources are available to support them. You know, we deal with people that have uh, like, you know, at some spectrum of autism and things where, you know, yeah. being in the airport is really stressful for them, mm -hmm. right? Even though they're very high performers, right? But a lot of airports, especially major airports, have quiet areas, right? But, you know, do they know that? Know. Yeah, right? yeah, so. no, agreed. That's why yeah. everyone used to quite like the business class lounge. At least that was a bit quieter, but they're not quite so quiet anymore, are they, from what I hear? <laughs> I haven't traveled business for quite some time. Um, no, I I just, I think we're, it, it feels sometimes as though it's, it, I think when customers are looking into this, it feels like it's massive. Whereas actually by just kind of taking a bit of ownership, understanding who you are and what it is you do as a business and why you need to do the things that you do. And I think then looking at the people who are doing it and what they need. Absolutely. I always sort of say it's quite a lot of work up front because there's a bit of thinking to do and there's a bit of analysis and there's a few conversations to be had and maybe, I don't know, some decisions to be made, who knows. Um, but actually once you've got it up and running, it's not so difficult. It's just then a case of maintenance and learning from what happens and pushing those experiences back into the, into the tool. Yeah. When I companies to see a lot, it's a lot of times like, well, this is massive, right? This, and I say, well, wait a minute, there's actually only three things that you need. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, Oh, there's only three things that matter. One is getting the itinerary. And they're like, Okay. I said, because that is really the only opportunity that the organization has to do risk management. Yeah. Right. And I love it when these, you know, companies are out there with their GPS tracking and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. It's kind of like ways, you know, when I'm coming up on the, on the traffic camera or whatever, it tells me right at that moment, but okay. You know, but, I, but it's, but if I have the itinerary, now I know who it is and where they're going and when, and I can actually do an assessment and do risk management and help them. And maybe they need to have, I don't know, vaccinations and visas. And so all of that pre-work, we call you know, kind of preparation work, is only really done with great precision when I have the itinerary, right? So that's that. And part of that is also preparation, which is training. Yeah. At the end of the day, you've done the best you can do, you send them off. So the next thing is, so itinerary, training, and then insurance and assistance. Who is going to come to my aid and who's gonna cover the economic risk to the company in the event we have a problem? Yeah. Yeah. If you focus on those three things, you have an awesome you know, program for your personnel just at those basics. 100%. Yeah, I'm just, I was smiling as you said the itinerary, because I think that in its own right can be complicated. Maybe not so much US side, of course, because a lot more is still going through the TMC, whereas I think European side that becomes more complicated. Well, train travel, right? I just pop. Yeah. Pop just, train. I'm in Brussels, right? 
<laughs> so it's yeah and it's the fact that people don't book hotels through the tmc they don't like book. there's a lot less chains here and all that kind of stuff so it's not to say we don't have them we do but people get used to they want to book on hotels.com and the companies allow them to do that so then they miss that visibility within the portal and, and, and so, in that environment again you know there are solutions that have you know that they can email their reservation or the company can capture through their email system that kind of stuff but at the end of the day to educate them of why it's important for lots of reasons budget approval lots of things you know what where are you going right and 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 when are you going just to get that basic information so that the company can help you be more successful Right. And don't be scared. To, I think this is the thing, and especially in this age of, you know, lastminute.com, I guess, mm-hmm. everyone goes, well, I'm going to do this trip. And there's no doubt that they're thinking about doing a trip a few months before they do it, right, especially an international trip. But for some reason, they don't book it until like seven days beforehand. And there's this real kind of, when I'm talking to corporates, they're like, well, there's absolutely no way we can have a risk assessment done on every trip before they get booked. There's just not the time. And then you have the travel company saying, and we can't hold the flights for all this. And it's just like, hang on a second, guys, just take it back. The whole point is again, through a culture change, you shouldn't be doing this last minute stuff. Like if these trips are being planned and risk assessed, you've got a good chance of actually pushing some of these trips out if you want to reduce your spend and reduce your carbon budgets because you're making it, you're not making it, well, I guess you are making it more difficult, but you're making it more difficult for a good reason to actually make sure that you've done the correct check. So I think there's this assumption, and I've, I've heard it for years across companies when I've worked with them, that people wouldn't be travelling if they didn't need to be travelling. And I think I think that's what's been lost since COVID for me. And it was there beforehand, but people need guidance now as to when they should travel and when they shouldn't. And that should be driven from the company. But also, you know, again, policy around international travel. I mean, there should be a two-week notification for the organization because it's not just, you know, it's it's visas and do do you have a passport with six months validity and all of these things that need to be, you know, you don't want to sit here and book a trip and go get your passport and find out it has four months of validity and now you're chasing around trying to, you know, get a new passport, right? So, or or vaccinations, right? Maybe you need a, you know, a two course vaccination that's gonna take 10 days, right? And so, you know, it's I think it's important for the companies to say, this is the, the pre-trip, right? The earliest that we know your intention and where you're going and when is the only opportunity that we have to actually do risk management, right? And so put that in the policy, educate, and then it's part of the training and education that people understand what this is all about. And it's the same thing around, you know, leisure travel. It's like, yes, leisure travel, the the asset that you're protecting is the person, right? You don't like forget about them just because they're going on holiday to the, you know, I don't know, to or Egypt or something, right? That you should be supporting them. Absolutely. Well, and exactly, it's in their interest, isn't it? There's a, there's some companies that do this really well, and I won't name drop them on here because it's not appropriate to, but, you know, mm-hmm. they've actually got, you know, their, 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 their staff want to put their holidays through the security team. Like, they feel so comfortable because they get why it's there. Mm-hmm. And the company's very happy for them to do that because ultimately they're still their asset just because they're on holiday for those two weeks. And and surely they'd rather get them if something was to happen. They'd rather support them through that period. So those companies Absolutely. that really 
embrace this are really kind of taking that attitude aren't they which is yeah and i and i come at it when when i get pushback is you know i say okay wait a minute you have a resiliency program right business continuity stuff fundamentally business continuity focuses on the loss of those four things people location supply and information that's your person whether they're lost on holiday or whether they're lost because of work or at home or whatever it doesn't matter yeah. right you know whatever the cause is the effect is they're not available to you so why would you like not why take would you like sorry you're on holiday this time so no. tough you're no. on your own yeah no i agree it's um yeah oh i knew this was going to be a great conversation so i want to just um you've, you've given us actually quite a few tips throughout this but just from your perspective anyone kind of getting into this space for the first time beginning to pick this up and think about it what would be your golden or golden nuggets, Bruce, that you would um, that you would like to share with our listeners today? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it has to be the thread of our conversation, right? It's the person, right? And I, and I you know, there's going to be so many dynamics in jobs and work and those in the, in the decade ahead and beyond, right? With AI and robotics and all this kind of stuff. Like, where, where do you fit? Whether, you know, today it may be this little thing called TRM, but at the end of the day, I think you need to open your aperture and say, this is the asset for these organizations, whatever you work for, how best can I enable and increase the certainty that those assets will be there and be productive and have, you know, enjoy their life too, and, and open that up. Right. And travel is one component. And actually, travel can be both a you know burden in the sense of having to do it, but it's also a great mind opening opportunity for employees. Right. So, you know, travel for most employees is a really positive, exciting experience. It's the ones that travel every week. OK, but <laughs> but so I, so that's what I guess what I would say is don't have this like little tight view. Open up and start and look at the partners right that are around people and how they can help in this and that you can help tie these things together and help your organization protect people not just the trip i love that thank you come out of your silos i was just writing a piece as you were talking it just made me think i wrote something yesterday which was often the way that we manage travel at the moment is post so it's it's a finance cost to manage right so you're literally just seeing lines on a spreadsheet mm -hmm. and you're seeing a lot of lines and a lot of invoices and it's not really telling you much but what you need to remember is every single one of those lines was a li was a lived experience mm -hmm. by one of your either employees or staff people let's just call it people and as much as it's just a frustration for you now to kind of do that bit that you've got to do to it we need to take it way back to actually understand what the program is Absolutely. Ruth, thank you so much um oh i know goodness. that everyone's gonna love this thank you so much um everybody bruce mcindoe um one of the godfathers of travel risk management saying grandfather <laughs> um and people risk management just everyone look after your people so you've been listening to talking trm with travel respects we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode in the meantime take care stay safe and in this case look after your people thank you very much bye thank you for listening to today's podcast 
Talking TRM is in association with the Scent Risk Management. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you need any help with implementing an ISO standard, such as ISO 31030, or if you have any questions regarding ISO, please reach out to a Scent Risk Management to talk to our expert consultants today. We can be found at www.ascent1.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And links can be found in the show description. This podcast is a Clemark Studio production and was produced by Jessica Ingalls.